right, so in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the households of God, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Good morning. How's everybody doing? There was a day I would have tried to jump up there, but not today anymore, anyways. I'm learning that I'm getting older, hanging around my teenage kids. Anyways, it's really good to be with you guys this morning. And I just want to say thank you to the worship team for leading us, and and I know they're coming back to lead us again, but uh, just, uh, just honor and appreciate their time and energy. To, to lead us in their hearts, and also just to encourage you guys in the, the process of what it looks like to find um, and to continue to, to pray for uh, the, the folks that would come in and continue to help lead Missio, and then also just honor Johnny and Heather and the elders. They have done just an the, the amazing job in terms of just seeking God and His guidance, and uh, I, I just, I personally have been blessed to be a part of uh, the times that I've been able to, to join with them. So uh, you guys are in, in good hands. So um, just a testament to the community that you guys have here. So, uh, that's, so that's why I love to come down anytime I get a chance to kind of chat with you and, and go over the word with you. And uh, I wanted to, we're kind of continuing on in the series, uh, what it means to be um, having the fruit of the Spirit, but then also what does it look like to practice that? What are the things that that help us kind of put those things into practice. And uh, it, I found it interesting that at the beginning of the service, you know, Isaac was saying, hey, man, I'm really struggling with peace today, you know. And uh, isn't that kind of how things work sometimes? The things that God wants to stir in us and do in us maybe are the very things that we're uh, cur- currently struggling with. Uh, I wanted to uh, first define peace. 
I, I think it's important for us to have a really good definition of what peace is. And I think sometimes we think of peace a certain way, and, and, and I think we can see a, a biblical understanding is maybe a little bit different than we would, we would say. So um, how many of you guys are familiar with the word shalom, right, the, the Hebrew word shalom? And this, this concept of peace, so the Hebrew concept of peace, is uh, very different probably than what us Americans would think of peace. The, the Hebrew concept of peace or shalom is wholeness, completeness, not missing, not lacking, but literally to be complete and to be whole. And so today, if you have ever gone to Israel or had an encounter with someone who would, have, would maybe from Israel or, or a Jewish, they, they would say things like, how is your, they say Shabbat Shalom or Ashalom Ha, they say, how is your Shalom? How is your peace? How is your wholeness? How is your completeness? How is, for us, we say things like, hey, how are you doing? And what do we say? Almost always, I'm good, right? And because uh, the truth is, you know that when somebody says, how are you doing? If you said, man, I've really had a bad day, that person's like, man, I'm sorry I asked, <laughs> right? But, but really, there's, it's, like this, it's like this proclamation of, of wholeness and, and peace and shalom over one another. If you go all throughout, whether you're a religious Jew or not, everyone is asking, how is your peace? But no different there than here. It can be just something that we say, how is your peace? Uh, think of nothing broken, nothing missing, nothing lacking, wholeness, okay, when we think about peace. Uh, another way that, that I've heard it defined is the way things ought to be, the way things ought to be, and I'm pretty confident that all of us can have an understanding of, man, there's a way things I, I think they should be or the way things I think things ought to be or maybe the way God has described them to be. But the definition of peace is a wholeness and the way things ought to be. Um, a lot of times our understanding of peace is that peace is not the, it's the absence of disruption. And, you know, there's a, there's a reality to asking how is your peace. And the reality is life sometimes isn't perfect, is it? Life sometimes isn't going the way you think that it should go, Right? And so when someone would ask, how is your peace, it's not, is everything perfect in your life as much as it is, how is your peace in the midst of what could possibly be chaos? So the idea of peace isn't that everything's perfect or that there is no disruption or that there is no war or that there is no things internally as much as it's, how are you doing in the midst of that? Are you experiencing wholeness and completeness? So peace is not the absence of disruption, but the presence of wholeness in the midst of our chaos. And the call to Jesus' followers and the kingdom makers is this. Jesus says at the very kind of beginning of his ministry, and he goes down and he says, blessed are these types of people. And one of the people he says, blessed are thou, he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And so often what we see is peace is this thing, this status, this thing that happens that's outside of our control, that peace is something that just happens. But the truth is, peace is something that you and I have to what? We have to make, we have to work for. Other translations say 
Blessed are those who work for peace. Blessed are those who work for peace. This is something that we have to cultivate. Johnny talked about this last week, that we actually cultivate or we actually pay attention to the things that we care about. And that if we care about these things, we, we, pay, we pay attention and we cultivate and we work it and we put our time and energy into it to seeing that it is well. And so what does it look like for us to be people who practice the way of peace? Often what we do is we say, well, I want to practice the way of peace that just happened to me. I hope what we see today is that peace or any other fruit of the Spirit is something that we have to tend to, to pay some attention to, some time, energy into our shalom or our wholeness or our peace. So how do we do that? Read verses... uh, 13 through 17 again. Can you put those back up so we can read them? Verse 13 through 17. Uh, and in this Ephesians passage, we get a, an, an understanding of what it looks like for us to be people of peace. Uh, it's talking about Jesus, and it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and preached peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the one spirit, to the Father. So I want to have a conversation about this word preached. The, the way Jesus brought about peace to you and me is he preached it. Now, some of you may have uh, an interesting view of preachers. I have a couple of pictures of street preachers. And some of you, go to the next one. Some of you may have thoughts processed that this, when you think of the word preacher, this is kind of what comes to mind. And so often what happens is we talk about what it looks like for you and I to be preachers of peace. And, and often what you think of as a preacher is the person who stands up here because, you know, they're the ones that preach. And hopefully what we'll see is that preaching and the preaching of peace and the work of peace is something that all of us are called to because blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. But I think in, in general, in our culture, preaching or preachers have maybe a wrong uh, implication or stigma of what a preacher would look like or be like or act like or sound like. I know I have said at times, man, I'm not sure I consider myself a preacher, and I feel like God has said, shut up. All right. And, and so what does it look like for us to be people who lean into the, the preaching? The other thing that he says that he preached, he preached the gospel of pre- peace, the gospel of peace, the gospel of his good news. And often, 
uh, in 21st century America, the gospel has become something that you and I are to mentally assent to. You and I are to believe. You and I are to say, I believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus died, rose again, and he's alive again. And because of that, my sins are forgiven, and therefore I believe it. But in a Jewish context or a Hebraic understanding, there's really no separation of your head from your heart. The idea that you would believe something up here mentally and that it would not affect your heart and who you are and how you live your life is foreign. In fact, the Greek word for heart, I mean, for heart is cardia. It's literally the way that you think. The way that you think. And so what happens is we often take this mental ascent. The gospel is something I'm to believe, and actually the gospel is something that I'm meant to feel and to understand. So Colossians 1.19 says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Again, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on heaven or things on earth. The, the job of reconciliation its, its authority is because of the cross, and yet Jesus' job is to continue to reconcile things to himself. And as he's doing that, he preaches the gospel. Now, um, maybe you've heard the quote, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And, and that sounds really nice. And I certainly think that what we do should be an indication of the gospel and be an indication of what we believe. But I would, I would ask you to consider, is it possible to preach the gospel without words? And if it is, why didn't Jesus? Almost 50% of the words we have in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Synoptic Gospels, almost 50% are red letters, the words of Jesus. And if, if preaching the gospel about words is possible, why didn't Jesus be like? <laughs> That's not how it worked, is it? Jesus came on the scene and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Nice and easy thing, isn't it? Jesus came on the scene and he said things like, you have heard it said, but I said. Jesus came on the scene and literally challenged everything. And what we want to do is we want to say that he just challenged all the religious people. But no, he looked at the disciples and he said really, really hard things to challenge the way they thought and to ask them, is what you're thinking aligning with what you're believing and what you're doing? We don't turn on the news and we don't, well, maybe you do because you're sick of the news. But nobody turns on the news, puts it on pause or on silent, and then just walks around and doesn't pay attention to it or watch it and be like, oh, okay. Unless you're at an airport, I guess. But it's not news if someone's not actually talking The whole concept of good news is a good report. 
Imagine going to the doctor and expecting a good report. And when you go back to the doctor, he just looks at you and smiles. Imagine wanting to, the news of, of, whether, of, of, a, of a baby announcement. And as somebody walks in the door, you're like, well, how'd it go? Some of us husbands do that, right? How was your day? It was great, you know. Tell me more. It was great, you know. Your wife's like, talk more. It's not news. It's not conversation about our day unless we communicate, unless we talk. The, the gospel, the good news in the New Testament is to verbally declare something about Jesus as the King and the Messiah and the Lord of all. It's to verbally declare the good news that all of the work and all of the effort that you've done to put God into your debt and to put God into your good favor has been taken care of by Jesus because you couldn't do enough if you tried. And that's good news. So the good news of the gospel must be preached. Preaching is the public proclamation and an announcement of a new reality in Jesus. It's an understanding that the way I used to live or the way things used to be in my life are different because of the good news, because of the work and the action and the beauty and the grace and love of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I, I can't think of any time that I've been alive, where the world is in desperate need of some good news. We, we live in a world that needs people who are willing to proclaim good news where good news is needed. We live in a world where the people that you are sitting next to, maybe even right now, or at work, or wherever you are, or in your communities, who are in desperate need of some good news. And good news that's proclaimed. Not good news sometimes of you just sitting there. but desperate need of some good news. Now, the one thing I want to say is this, that often we think of the gospel as something that happened. It's something that happened a couple thousand years ago, and that's what we're proclaiming. But I want you to understand that God, Jesus is still up to good news. Jesus is still up to reconciling people to himself and reconciling the world to himself. And since that is still happening. The gospel is still happening time and time again, day in and day out. God's gospel, his good news is continuing to happen. It's not something that just happened. It's literally happening right here, right now. And this is why we need the gospel to be preached constantly. I think what happens a lot of times, though, is because we think of the gospel as something that happened, it happened a long time ago. Maybe for you, depending on when you came to an understanding of faith in Jesus, this was a while ago. Maybe that's you. And we think, yeah, that was great. But what we need to do is we need to be people who are connected not just to the, to the story of God, but to our story and how we fit into that story. We need to be people who understand what is my place in the body of Christ and what has God done in me. And so for you and I to be preachers of peace and to preach the gospel and bring it everywhere, 
We need to understand how the message and work of Jesus is good news to you. How is the message of the good news of Jesus good news to you right here, right now, today? Isaac led us off and he he boldly declared to everyone, we're talking about peace and it has not been a peaceful morning for me. And so he kind of laid bare like, I want you to know that wasn't him just like trying to be like the neat worship leader guy who tells you this thing that connects to what's going on. It was really in his heart of this struggle. And the good news for him is that whatever it is that's going on inside of him, Jesus is better. And Jesus is bigger. And Jesus is greater. And if he can lean into that, then all the things that are stirring, that are warring inside of him, bringing a a sense of not being whole or complete can literally be gone. I can tell you to get up in front of people and declare the word, to, to lead worship, to do different things. Some of you have jobs where lots of people maybe de- depend on what you're going to do that day can be a very unsettling time, can't it? And what we need at that moment is we need the gospel. We need the good news. We need the good news that Jesus is better. Jesus is greater But a lot of times, this good news, this thing that we believed, is that's just it. It's something that we believed up here. And it never kind of became an experience. And I know that, man, there has been this kind of church culture where it's all about the experience. Well, I'm here to tell you that just because someone wants to make it only about an experience does not mean we should toss out the experience of Jesus. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says to Peter, he says, you going to leave me too? Everybody else is leaving, are you going to go? And Peter looks at him and says, where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. The things that you've done, that you've said, that I've seen, I can't unknow them and unsee them. As much as I might want to go with them, and as much as it might make sense to go with them, I can't because of what I've experienced. We need to be people to understand that it is something that we believe, but it's something that we experience. And the proclamation of the gospel must come from a deep sense of the truth lived and experienced by you and by me. Man, when you can look at someone and just say, hey, I know exactly what you're feeling, and I know exactly what is going on inside of your heart, but let me tell you what happened to me. And you begin to, to describe an experience that you've had with Jesus, that literally dispelled the fear or the depression or the anxiety or the struggle or whatever it is that someone is going through and you say, this is what I lean on, how many of you know that's good news? But we have to know it, we have to sense it, and it has to be a part of who we are. 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5 says this, Paul, he's talking to people, he says, and my speech and my message, the gospel, were not in plausible words of wisdom. It wasn't just me saying something that was really great and all of you guys thought, oh, that guy's so smart. Paul says, but instead it was in demonstration of the spirit and of the power so that your faith might not rest in wisdom of men but in the power of God. We cannot separate the peace and the proclamation of the peace of Jesus 
from our own experience. And then, and then as we move on, like we're not just recipients of the work of the kingdom, but God desires us to be instruments of that work. He, he desires us to be recipients and to understand and to know what's going on and then to be instruments that he uses. People that he speaks, not just to, but through. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are. So we literally have the exact same message, and he has given it to us to proclaim. The very message of reconciliation or the message of peace that Jesus preached. The other thing I love about that part is he says, it preached to those who were far, and it preached to those who are near. It preached to those who thought they were out, and he preached to those who thought they were in. And he says he's committed that message to all of us, the message of reconciliation. And then he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, reconcile to God. Be reconciled to God. I guess one of the, my prayers as I was praying through this over the last week or so was saying, God, renew the gospel in me. Renew the good news in me. Not, don't let it just be something that I do on a regular basis because, you know, I'm supposed to get up on Sunday and preach. Let it be something that's so inside of me that it's happening Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And I don't know about you, but I have five kids. I'm reminded of the need for good news constantly. My kids. Yeah, it happens. I need it. But my kids are 16, 15, 15, 13, and 11, going on 21. And I'm reminded on a regular basis that they, we live in a world, and they live in a world that desperately needs the good news. Desperately. I spoke at a high school camp recently uh, with a bunch of Christian kids at Intermountain Christian School. And I said a lot of things in three days, and the thing that I got the most response from out of those kids was, how many of you know life sucks sometimes? And every kid in that place, I don't know if you know this, but the new word for teenagers is bars or facts. And every one of them said, bars, facts. Bars of a song, like, like it's a legit song. Bars, yep. That's the thing. Right. And while that's funny, think about it. I said a lot of things to a bunch of teenagers, and when I said, how many of you know life sucks sometimes, every one of them erupted in bars and facts. I don't know that I would have said that at 15 years old. I wouldn't have said Bars. But I don't know that I would have thought life is really that bad. I'm reminded every day that my kids live in a world that needs good news. 
And so I'm constantly preaching good news to my kids. Constantly preaching good news to kids that I haven't raised from birth because I've adopted three of my five. Well, one I will be adopting soon. And in those cases, there are a lot of things that have been bad news, and they need good news. And I can't just say things like, well, Jesus died on the cross for you, so get over it. Aren't you glad you got Jesus, and someday you'll get to go to heaven? See, Jesus' desire is that peace and wholeness and completeness and oneness comes now. May your kingdom and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it come in a way, may we experience the kingdom of God, the shalom and the peace and the wholeness of God here and now on this earth, not just someday. And so I say things to God and I pray, God, help me renew the gospel in me. And he tells me, you do that by preaching the gospel to yourself and to others. That, that you begin, you ever, you ever said something to somebody and you thought, that sounds true, but I'm not even sure I believe it? You ever said something to somebody and you're like, oh, that's true, but you're struggling with the truth in and of itself? It takes me back to a time of Peter, who has abandoned Jesus, and Jesus comes back, and as after the resurrection, he comes back to Jesus, and, and Peter and Jesus are hanging out, and we have this kind of famous uh, uh, interaction with Jesus and Peter, and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter gets, like it says, more or less, he kind of got offended that he asked him three times. But what does he say to him? Feed my sheep. Perhaps what he's telling Peter is, in all of your uncertainty, in all of your doubt, in all of everything that you guys are struggling with right here, right now, the 12 of you, one of the ways that you will actually have a deep understanding and trust in who Jesus is, is if you'll just feed my sheep. And as you feed my sheep, what you'll see is my interaction with them is way greater or deeper or more beautiful than you guys could ever dream. And so as I, uh, as a dad, as I begin to preach the gospel to myself and to my kids and to others, and I begin to see how people struggle with their own identity and begin to hear that God just kind of rise up in me and I begin to speak things to them, almost like in a prophetic way, it's beautiful to see the peace and the wholeness that God brings. And it then is something that happens inside of me at the same time. I think it's important for us to understand that the gospel has many facets and that the gospel works in all situations and the gospel works in many different ways and that the gospel will look different in every situation with every person. In... Um, John Fitch's book, so there's some of these books out there um, that a lot of this series has been based on. Uh, he describes what it looks like to preach the gospel to some folks, and he says this, I think it's a, a beautiful understanding of what it looks like for you and me and all of the different people, kinds of people that you and I would have a conversation with, and he says this. He says, the gospel will not be the old standby we've known through the small book or to the tracts handed out at church. It will be contextualized in its space that is opened up in the neighborhood. 
There's, there's no one set gospel starting point. There are numerous entry points. To the one suffering fear and anxiety, Jesus is Lord and he is working in that situation. Can you believe and take a step towards faith in him? To the one angry at, at what has been done, Jesus is Lord, vengeance is his, and he is working to reconcile all things. Can you forgive in Christ? To the one suffering depression, God is working here. He alone has created you for purposes before the foundation of the world. To the one who is lost in guilt and shame, he has taken your sin and the cross and forgives you unconditionally. He is Lord, can you receive that? To the one who is broken, he heals. To the one who is dying, we cannot be separated from his love. Christ's lordship over the world may be proclaimed over the addiction destroying someone's life. He is victor. He is Lord in that broken marriage and the evil cycle of violence that has gotten a hold of our playgrounds in our neighborhood and on and on. Jesus is Lord is the gospel. He is working for the renewal of all things. Can we enter it? Can we trust him and begin to participate and discern what God is doing and be faithful to him? So you see, the gospel isn't just this one-line answer. The gospel is Jesus is Lord. The question is, what entry point in the people that you find yourselves in relationship with need the gospel, need to hear that Jesus is Lord over those situations, over that part of their life? Can we submit to him? One of my favorite missiologists is a guy by the name of Leslie Newbegin, and he was a missionary for about 40 years in India uh, with the Anglican Church, and then he came back to um, England and realized things weren't the way they were when he left. And, and what had happened was that the churches had kind of taken over for everyone. The, the churches had more or less said, we'll do the preaching We'll do the gospel proclamation. You guys just sit there and be sheep. You guys just sit there and be fed. You guys just sit there. We'll handle everything. That was more or less what had happened. And when he came back, he realized that this is actually the demise of the church if we don't watch out. Fortunately, he was right. Uh, a, a community that had a proclamation of 60, 70, 80% Christian went down less than 5% at one point. But here's what he said to those churches. He said, I have come to feel that the primary reality of which we have taken account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life is the Christian congregation. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on the cross. Like you realize what a hard sell that can be if you weren't raised in it, grew up in it, or told something different about it. Then he says this, I'm suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic of the gospel 
is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. I am, of course, not denying the importance of the many activities by which we seek to challenge public life with the gospel, evangelistic campaigns, distribution of Bibles, and Christian literature, conferences, and even books such as this one. But I am saying that these are secondary and that they have power to accomplish their purpose only as they are rooted in and led back to a believing community. You and I have to get back to preaching the gospel if we're going to see shalom and peace in our communities. And I don't know about you, but I live in a community that on the outside looks like it has some peace. But on the inside, as you begin to to get into relationships with people, you realize that things are more broken than ever. And in that, we have to get back to preaching the gospel. And at the same time, for me to be able to preach the gospel, I have have a deep understanding and an experience of what the gospel is for Tony. You have to have a deep understanding of what the gospel is for you. And that good news didn't just happen at one point in your life, but that good news is continuing, continuing to happen. One of the kind of uh, mission-focused guys these days would term, uh, use the term gospeling. Who or what are you gospeling today to bring peace and shalom. Uh, we're going to move into a time of communion, and that's really where I want us to kind of park our hearts as God, what, what areas of my life need the gospel? And then also, what areas of lives of the people around me? Maybe it's just in your family, maybe it's not, maybe it's in people that God has put you in relationship with. Where do they need the gospel? When Leslie Newbigin says the congregation is the hermeneutic of the gospel, the, the term hermeneutic is basically the interpretation of the understanding of. In other words, you may be the only interpretation or understanding of the good news that someone sees. Think about that. And what does that look like for us to then proclaim the good news that's happened to us? Uh, I want to read one other scripture as we take communion band. You guys can come on back up and lead us as we partake. Um, I lost my paper. No, that's not it. I mean, that is it, but that's not, that's not gonna be, it's up here because I want everybody to read it. The Isaiah passage, if you can put that up. This is a, certainly a, a passage that all of us have heard and specifically probably in communion time, but I want you to think about it in the ideas of, of what peace means now. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us wholeness, shalom. And with his wounds, we are healed. As as we come to the table every single week, it, it should be a reminder of that no matter what is going on, no matter what's happening, that the body and the blood of Jesus, this is what brings us wholeness. So it brings us completeness. 
We, we find our wholeness and our completeness here at the table. And then from there, when we go out, we go out as whole, as people whose shalom, no matter what is going on, is intact. And so when you come, don't let this just be another time. Don't let just just be something that you do. Let this be a time of remembering. This is why I even can proclaim the gospel. Many of you, when I talk about the pro- proclaiming the gospel, you don't think you're worthy, right? You're not. But he is. And because he is, and because of this table, he says, you are my ambassadors. You are my kids. Now go and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel of peace to everyone around you. And that's the beauty of the table. It's the reason why we're going to do it every single week. Because this table proclaims that you're worthy because of him. And him alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your desire is that shalom and peace would be a reality in our world. That in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of all the things going on, there would be a people, a remnant, your body, who would be complete and whole. And that we would be people who proclaim the gospel, not just to to lost people, but we literally proclaim it to ourselves when we're feeling lost or broken or undone. And as we proclaim it to ourselves, God, we then can proclaim it because of our experience of your wholeness and your peace to those around us who desperately need it in a world who desperately needs your peace. God, may we come to the table and experience your peace like never before. May we come to the table and experience your healing and your gospel, your good news like never before. And God, may we go out from here a people declaring your shalom, your peace, your love to the world we find ourselves in. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.